You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. This day marks a century since the foundation of this church was laid. It has survived the various changes of the times and according to the greatness of his loving kindnesses. Every episode we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon was preached by John Hancock Jr. It was delivered in 1739 in Massachusetts. And I know what you're thinking, dear listener, John Hancock, like the John Hancock, like the American revolutionary John Hancock. Uh, turns out, and we'll get into this, there's a lot of Jan, J- John Hancocks. He is one, he's one of the John Hancocks. We'll, we'll explain more. All right, on that good cliffhanger, on that kind of a tease here, first one to go through, some positive responses we've been receiving. We always try to shout out the people who give us shout outs. And this one comes to us from Apple Podcasts by a guy named Medic Sean, who said, well done podcast. I've been listening for months now. It's easy to forget what the previous generations faced. So the context of the time, circumstances and situations that happened during each sermon, uh, the London fire was my favorite. Such fascinating stuff played out. Thank you very much, Medic Sean. Apple podcast reviews always help us out. We have 178 right now and our rating on Apple podcasts is 5.0, which is absolutely uh, mind-boggling that the rating has stayed so high this whole time. Thank you, all of you who have listened and left a review. Troy, I got confused uh, so many times researching this episode because of the sheer amount of John Hancock's. Not not to mention the John Hancock we're talking about is John Han. His his official name is John Hancock Jr. And he is not the junior most John Hancock, which I found the most confusing part because his son is actually the signer. Of the Declaration of Independence? Is that what his famous signature is from? Yeah, that's where you get the famous John Hancock signature. So I also, I realized when I wrote it, I was like, I put John Hancock Sr., John Hancock Jr., and then John Hancock the third is what I should have named it. But the I'm third, we're gonna actually yeah. try to use them. I think the best way to maybe kind of get them in your head is we could do that method, and that works too. Um, I'm probably just going to relate to them as kind of like John Hancock Sr., John Hancock Jr., and then John Hancock the third, the one that we're familiar with, or maybe you've heard of from American mm-hmm. history, uh, we'll call him John Hancock the Revolutionary. So that way he kind of has his own title and maybe stands out a little bit more in your mind as we go through 
these different John Hancocks. But yeah, even just writing them down and doing the research, it t- there were definitely different moments where I had to be like, wait, so which John Hancock am I reading about right now? And I'd have to go look up like the timeline to figure out which one was which. Oh my goodness. So, so to clarify, there are three John Hancocks in succession. So a father named John Hancock named his son John Hancock, and that John Hancock named his son John Hancock. So there are three John Han- which hot take uh maybe don't do that you wouldn't want to joel the the fourth in your family that you know continue the name that's not what you're going for maybe i don't know i don't know if i knew that there were going to be two guys uh you know 300 years later that were trying to make sense of their storyline i would (laughs) i would spare them for their sake uh so so john hancock that we're covering is the middle john hancock so there's a John Hancock Sr. And we'll start with with him, the the John Hancock of namesake. Uh, he, you know, we're, that, that goes back to like the, the colonial army because that's two generations above John Hancock, the revolutionary. So he was a colonel in the colonial army. And he was also a farmer. He was also a pastor and uh, graduated from Harvard in 1689. He was a pastor in Lexington, and he preached at the same church for 55 years until he died, which is, uh, I like to see. I like to see pastors that have long, lifelong tenures at, at churches like that. He had two children, again, the firstborn of which is John Hancock Jr., the reader of today's sermon, and then uh, another son called Thomas Hancock, which I also feel like, I also, so like when you give your name, when your son your own name, and then you have more kids. Yeah. I always feel like they got, you know, like, what is Thomas thinking this whole time? Like, he, he's not Johnny. He didn't, he didn't get the, he didn't get the name of his father. He got Thomas. Yeah, I thought the same thing, actually, because we did an episode on Charles Spurgeon's uh, son, Thomas Spurgeon. And I believe, if I recall correctly, they're twins. And one is Charles Spurgeon Jr. And one is Charles, uh, and then the other is, you know, mm. Thomas, actually, the same name. In fact, I always think about like, hmm. That's got to be a little awkward, you know, not that I'm less loved, but, you know, I don't, I don't carry the name. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. I mean, I get, who who knows? Maybe that was, it's, it's expected with firstborn territory back then. Maybe it wasn't as, we don't see that too much in today's day and age. You don't see a whole lot of juniors walking around. Occasionally you'll see some, but but not as many juniors. So John Hancock Jr., uh, again, the man that, that spoke the sermon we're going to listen to, uh, he himself would go on to be a pastor um, but not also before being a soldier himself and becoming a colonel, just like his father as well. So pastoring and uh, uh, military strategizing are are in the bloodline of this family. Now, out of the three John Hancocks, uh, the one that we're talking about for this sermon, John Hancock Jr., he uh, has the least written about him in history. And that's partially because he died pretty young. He died at the age of 41. Uh, while his son, the famous American revolutionary John Hancock, was only seven. However, he did pastor one church, United First Parish Church in Massachusetts, and it wasn't he wasn't just a pastor. He actually also was in the Army for a while and reached the rank of colonel as well, just like his father before him. But this church is a part of Boston, or at least nearby Boston, and it's actually already been covered on one of our shows. When I was reading about this church, I realized we did an episode on this this very same church a very long time ago. One of our very earliest episodes uh, has the title A Sermon from the Revolutionary War in it, and it was preached by a man named Samuel Cooper. 
in attendance in that church at the time was John Adams, the future second president of the United States, and his son, John Quincy Adams, also a future president. Both of those men went to Samuel Cooper's church, and that was the same exact church that John Hancock here is pastoring, you know, 30 years before Samuel Cooper, maybe 10 years before Samuel Cooper gets there. What's also interesting in the same way was that while John Hancock Jr. was pastoring this church, a very, very young John Adams, I mean, he would have been really young, uh, gets baptized by this John Hancock Jr. So again, the same president who will go to this church, the same church that he'll go to, he's baptized by John Hancock Jr., and he actually was an acquaintance. John Hancock and John Adams knew each other as kids. I, I don't know how good of friends they were, but they, they would have maybe seen each other around. They, they were aware of each other because of this connection to this church. So after John Hancock Jr. died, uh, his son, John Hancock, the American revolutionary, again, he's seven years old at this point when his fathers die, he moves in with his uncle. And his uncle was extremely wealthy due to his business interactions. I don't know if he was the richest person in America, but he was certainly on the list of most wealthiest people in America. Now, that's not saying it, it was easier to be the richest person in America back then, because there was not that many, very many people in America. It was a much smaller place back then, but uh, nonetheless, a very wealthy man. And when his uncle uh, died, his uncle didn't have any kids to uh, to pass along his inheritance to, and so he left it all to John Hancock, the revolutionary. So uh, John Herrick, Hancock, the revolutionary, going into the Revolutionary War, was one of the wealthiest men in America at that time. So him and Samuel Adams, who was also very wealthy, it seems like essentially funded the Revolutionary War. Like, would you say that's accurate, Troy? Like, it, they bet it all on on uh, on making the Revolutionary War happen. Yeah, no, actually, that's something I didn't really realize in this story was while reading this episode is just how much like. A handful of very wealthy businessmen men made like an absolutely giant difference in this war. Like I didn't know. I, I I don't know when I had read about the American Revolution. It's been a while since I've studied it, so that probably was part of it. But I just didn't realize how much of it was like if it hadn't been for these key business players in the first couple of years, there would have been no money for the army and there would have been no war. Yeah, yeah, and not like not just like contribute towards it, like bet it all like it's all or nothing here we're either gonna win this uh and have a country or we'll uh we'll be captured and probably executed type of thing so all that money went to uh literally like organizing army divisions uh naval ships uh you know like there you can tie it directly back to huge turning points in the war it, it was so influential the funding there that the British, uh, after fighting this battle in Lexington, they issued an immediate arrest for John Hancock's revolutionary because uh, I guess his contributions turning the tides of those battles was so extreme that they they put a bounty on his head. We got to we got to get this guy off the table. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He would eventually become governor of Massachusetts, and uh, he would often tell the citizens that, you know, they need to repent of their sins and pray to God and attend church if they expected their work to be blessed. I found an example of the kind of speech he would give, and it seems it reflects what was commonly found in his letters, writings, and different speeches at the time. So this is kind of a quote from one of the speeches he gave at that moment. In circumstances dark as these, it becomes us as men and Christians to reflect that while every prudent measure should be taken to ward off the impending judgments, all confidence must be withheld from the means we use, and used only on that of God who rules in the armies of heaven, and without whose blessing the best human counsels are foolishness, and all created power is vanity. It is the happiness of his church that when the powers of earth and hell combine against it, that the throne of grace is of the easiest access, and its appeal there is graciously invited by the Father of mercies, who has assured it that when his children ask bread, he will not give them a stone. Then we are resolved that it be, and hereby is recommended to the good people of the colonies of all denominations, that Thursday, the 11th day of May, will be set apart as a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer, to confess sins, to implore the forgiveness of our transgressions, and a blessing on the husbandry, manufacturers, and other lawful employments of this people, and especially that the union of the American colonies and defense of their rights, for here we desire to thank Almighty God, may be preserved and confirmed, and that America may soon behold a gracious interpretation position of heaven. By order of the Massachusetts Provincial Congress, John Hancock. This John Hancock that affected history so much came from this humble background of a father who was a pastor whom he died at this very young age. His grandfather was a pastor as well. And yet, yet because of this background of his parents and because of this background of his uncle, he ended up changing and shaping world history forever. Let us now listen to the sermon his father gave at the 100-year anniversary of their church, the very same church that a future president was sitting in as a young child, and listening to the sermon as well. This day marks a century since the foundation of this first and ancient church was laid. The providence of God towards it during this period has been worth remembering, for it has survived the various changes of the times according to God's mercies and according to the greatness of his loving kindnesses. Having then obtained the help of God, we continue going to this day 
a monument of his sparing mercy, despite the visible decays of faith all around us. We have this happy opportunity to commemorate and mention the loving kindnesses and praises of the Lord, according to all that he has bestowed on us as a church and his great goodness towards his people in general through the dispensations, both of grace and providence. These words are a devout meditation and expression of God's great and unwearied goodness to his church. They were spoken either by the church or by the prophet in their name and are written for our learning and will afford us some pious instructions and reflections suitable to the business of this day. In discussing the subject, I hope to show, one, that it is the duty and has been the pious practice of God's people to preserve and express the memory of his goodness to them. Two, it is also their duty and has been their pious care to express the praises of the Lord in remembrance of his works. I plan to show that it is the duty and has been the pious practice of God's people to preserve and express the memory of his great goodness to them. This is the pious resolution of the Church of God. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and his great goodness towards the house of Israel. The heart is warmed with deep reflections when one thinks of the goodness of God to his people. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth utters the memory of God's great goodness, as the devout psalmist declares, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. Again, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate also on all of your work and talk of your actions. Whereas forgetfulness of God and his wonderful works robs him of the glory of the honorable mention of them, therefore the people of God should take great care to keep in their minds the remembrance of his wonderful works, both to themselves and to the church, for fear that they bury any of them in ungrateful oblivion and diminish their grateful acknowledgement of them. So they should refresh and strengthen their memory by frequent recollections and meditation on his good works to his people, that they may be always ready to mention them to the praise of God. Specifically, it is good of the people of God to make sincere mention of his loving kindness to themselves. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. Everyone that is godly will take particular notice of God's loving kindness to each other and be ready to speak of it to the glory of God. Come and hear all of you that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. So should each and every church and society of Christians consider and declare what great things the Lord has done for each of them. Just as the Church of Israel celebrated the memory of God's wonderful works to them, the Lord has done great things for us that we should celebrate, such as their growth, their preservation, and remarkable deliverances from many dangers. But how great is the sum of it all? That declaration of the psalmist should be often on our lips. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts which are done for us. 
I can never count all that you have done for me. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. But the more remarkable instances of God's loving kindness should be recognized and celebrated by us as we are a body of people or a communion of visible saints, a church of Christ. The planting and settling of churches is the work of the Lord so that he may be glorified. God sends his gospel into one place of his dominion and not into another. He allows one nation the means of salvation and not another. One place is reigned upon and made fruitful with the doctrines of grace and salvation, and the other place receives no rain, withers, and is cursed. This is a mysterious dispensation of the infinitely wise, good, and holy God. He gives no account of this matter, but you are righteous, O Lord, when we plead with you, righteous in all your ways and holy in all your works. Won't the judge of all the earth do right? It must be trusted to his divine sovereignty, just as it pleases the sovereign and only wise God to set up his candlesticks and cause the light of the glorious gospel to shine in these dark places of the earth, which were full of houses of cruelty, not a century and a half ago. This is the work of the Lord, and it should be marvelous in our eyes to see such a change sweep over this continent. The church has abundant cause to sing of the mercy in planting, watering, increasing, and defending them to this day. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, may these New English churches say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. For it is good for the people of God to mention his great goodness towards the church in general. I will mention the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he bestowed on them. This indeed is a very parallel theme, but who is able to give the sacred history? Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? But it is our duty, and it should be a sacred pleasure, to revolve in our minds and declare with our mouths the wonderful works of God to his church in all ages, even though we are not able to explain it all perfectly. The prophet, or the church, whoever it is that speaks here, does not confine the consideration of the divine goodness to themselves of that generation, but generously extends the review of it to distant ages of the church that have passed, and mentions his great goodness to the church in general. And indeed, there is such a wonderful summary of church history in the Holy Bible that it furnishes rich material for our delightful exercise in the duties of religion. We have plenty of history there for meditation, praise, and speech. Oh, how great is his goodness in which he bestowed on the church from age to age. As the church of Israel was formed and preserved by a series of remarkable providences, so God took care to preserve the remembrance of it in several ways for us now, especially their remarkable deliverance from Egyptian bondage and miraculous preservation in the wilderness for 40 years. These things are so full of the wonders of God's power and mercy that they deserve to be commemorated and acknowledged 
in all their generations, and indeed, in all ages of the church. With that in mind, God commanded his people Israel to transmit the knowledge of them down to all their generations, that one generation might praise his works to another. They were told to do it so the generation to come might know and remember these works. And as the children grew, they should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work you did in their days, in the times of old. This was one wise and effective method God took to preserve the knowledge of his will and works in the church of Israel through their parents. Additionally, God instituted several memorials or monuments of his wonderful works of mercy to them. So the Passover was instituted in remembrance of his mercy and bringing them out of Egypt, when he slaughtered all the firstborn in Egypt. This was a night to be observed to the Lord in their generations. It will come to pass when your children will say to you, what do you mean by this service, that you will say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our families. Yes, so great was the deliverance that God preserved the memory of it in the preface to the Decalogue of the Moral Law, which is in these words, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You may observe also that in the repetition of the law of the Sabbath, the observation of it is enforced upon the Israelites from the consideration of that deliverance. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you here through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. Although originally this was instituted in memory of the creation in seven days, another memorial to God's works. The song of Moses recorded in Exodus 15 is a standing memorial of the great deliverance God gave them by the destruction of the host of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Their miraculous preservation in the wilderness 40 years, where God fed them with manna and gave them the food of heaven, and so they ate angels' food, was commemorated by the golden pot that had manna and was put in the ark. In a similar manner, God was pleased to preserve the remembrance of his miraculous work in dividing the waters of Jordan for the armies of Israel to pass safely through as on dry land by causing 12 stones to be taken out of the middle of it. As God has had a church in the world from the beginning, so he has taken special care of its preservation and support. It is built upon Christ, the rock of ages, so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The burning bush consumed. Many times, the church may say, they have afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The world, the flesh, and the devil act in unity against it, yet it stands secure against all the assaults that have been made upon it from earth and hell. The Lord is in the midst of it, its glory and defense. For I, says the Lord, 
will be for her a wall of fire around it, and my glory in the midst of her. Sometimes the glory of the church has been made thin, and the true worshipers of God have been few in number. In the time of great trouble in the church of Israel, in the days of the prophet Elijah, he truly thought in himself, that was all that was left. And of the people, there was none with him that feared God and thought upon his name, no, not one. But yet at that time, there was a remnant left. God always preserves a remnant in the heaviest judgments which he brings upon his people. A remnant will be saved in the times of the greatest deception and apostasy from the faith, too. It continued during the times of anti-Christian superstition and tyranny for several centuries together. Before the dawn of the Reformation, the Christian church seemed to be buried in the trash. Darkness covered the church, and gross darkness was within the people. And there was little hope of its recovery and emerging out of that sinking and corrupted state. But that was when it was time for God to work, with whom all things are possible. And God raised up some confessors of Christ and his sacred truths, despite the declining and ruined state of the church, some of whom sealed the truth with their blood. Finally, 200 years ago, God raised up and inspired Luther, one of the wonders of the church, with zeal and courage to preach against the Pope's unchristian mandates and begin a reformation of religion. And he lived to see this glorious work go on prosperously in several parts of Germany and Switzerland, etc. And in England, he saw several attempts made towards a reformation by the means of Archbishop Cranmer, who happily laid the foundations of it in England. After Luther's death, God formed many useful tools to carry on the Reformation away from popery till whole nations and kingdoms became Protestant. And especially in the English nation, which has been very much the glory and bulwark of the Reformation to this day, may God grant it continue to be so, even to the finish of all things. So the state of the church has been spotted with light and darkness, but the glory of God has shone through the thick darkness. It has been a light for it. And we trust in God that he will still appear in his glory and build up Zion in all generations. Moreover, it is good for the people of God to utter the mighty acts of the Lord to his church in general and speak of his glory in the defense and preservation of it to this day. And so it is good of them to mention his great goodness to it in all the revelations of his word and spirit. From the first and ancient promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3.15 to the completion of the sacred canon in fullness of time. And the way of salvation by Jesus Christ revealed to them in different ways, more darkly under the Mosaic dispensation and distant ages but now clearly and universally by the gospel and the proclamation of it among the Gentiles. For many ages, the church was very much confined to the Jews within the limits of Canaan. For it was to them the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, 
and the service of God and the promises. But when Christ, the glory of his people Israel, was manifested to them in the fullness of time, he spread the knowledge of God and his grace, preaching peace to them that were far away and to them that were near, both to Jews and Gentiles, and gave it in commission to his apostles to Christianize the whole world of mankind and preach the gospel to every creature. And so the scripture was fulfilled. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light sprung up. And so Christ is a light to lighten the Gentiles, as well as the glory of his people Israel. The Gentiles came to his light, and kings to the brightness of his rising. And now, my brothers, our hearts have been warmed with a lively sense of the living kindnesses of the Lord to us, and his great goodness to his church. And in his temple, let every one of us speak of his glory and shout out his praise. The foundation of our present happy establishment and liberty was laid by our pious fathers when they came together in church this day 100 years ago with a solemn covenant. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who inclined their hearts to lay such an early and good foundation for themselves and for their children against the times come, while they were few in number, only eight of them. And blessed be his glorious name that he has built us up and not plucked us down. We trust that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, according to the grace of God which was given to our fathers, as wise master builders they laid the foundation and others built on it. But let every man be careful how he builds upon it, not with wood, hay, and stubble, for such things will soon perish and not bear the fiery trial. But let us build upon it gold, silver and precious stones, which will abide the trial. For the fire will try every man's work, and he will receive a reward. But if any of his work will be burnt, he suffers loss. Let us be careful to follow the piety and zeal of our fathers, who first settled this country and church. Let's not be lazy, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We that are joined together in church fellowship profess to have laid the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And oh, that the spirit of God and of glory may rest upon us and assist us in the acts we are about to perform, in renewing the dedication of ourselves to God, in renewing the covenant that the pious fathers of this church entered into at the gathering of it, and in celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that all may be done heartily as to the Lord and not to men, but to the glory of God, our mutual edification and comfort, so that the solemn transactions of this day may be accepted by God and turn to our salvation through our prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, to whom be glory in the church throughout all ages,
a memorial to God's goodness is in a lot of ways a almost like a a defensive church history sermon kind of like he the way he describes how important history is to God and how important the history of that church was and how good it is to remember the things God does for his church and for his people throughout history. I really enjoyed this sermon. I feel like the sermon captures in a lot of ways the essence of what we do here at Revive Thoughts, explaining church history and remembering God's good works uh, to the world in the past 2,000 years. And so hearing a pastor give this sermon almost 300 years ago, explaining why we need to remember the good things God is doing for his church because it's the act of God's uh, you know, working through time, he had one specific line that really stood out to me, which was, you know, it is it is a it is a shame when any of God's working with humanity falls into the sea of forgetfulness. And I think that that's a really good way to describe what we're trying not to let happen here. We don't want the different people that God has used throughout history to be forgotten, because anytime God uses somebody, it should be something that we pay attention to and we learn from. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's sermon was brought to you by Jason Stanley. Huge thanks to Jason for reading today's sermon. If you enjoyed this episode of Revived Thoughts, we do ask if you could leave us a review or a comment wherever you found our show, whether it be YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening, we would love to get a comment or a five-star rating from you so that others could listen to the show as well. These ratings help let people know we're here and help to get the word out on the show. So it'd be really great. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thought. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.